What's stopping you from being what you want to be? Why are you holding back on who you are? My name is Brent and I am The Fallible Man. I make content for men. Welcome to The Fallible Man Podcast. Today, I'm joined by author and speaker Eric Winters talking about his book, Swipe Right on Your Best Self. Eric has worked with companies that you know and will recognize the names of, some are on the screen, and in the private sector, helping people to be their best self. And today, we're going to delve into these questions and more. So let's get into it. This is the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man, husband, and father. Here is your host, the Fallible Man, Brent Dowling. Eric, welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Brent, it's a pleasure to be here. And good morning from Sydney, Australia. I'm calling from tomorrow, I believe, relative to, to where you are in the world. I love so technology a, for this reason. <laughs> it, 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 we live in miraculous times, don't we? We do. It's just it's, It just blows me away that you and I can talk across the planet in real time. There's not even a lag. My good. How That's do they amazing, do that? right? It, yeah. And it's essentially free, you know, <laughs> essentially. It's just, it's just marvelous. All right. And Eric, like you said, you're joining us from New South Wales. And you said, where's, where's that exactly in Australia to help people? You said uh, you're calling from Sydney? Yes, I am. That's on the right-hand side. So it, it's, it's, Australia is just a huge continent, absolutely yeah. massive. But if it was a square, and it's not a square, but if it was a square, <laughs> it would be on the, the right-hand side about three quarters of the way down okay on the right hand side about three quarters of the way down that's where we are the east coast so eric i actually am a really crappy podcast host because i don't introduce my guest because i can look through all your accolades and you know i've been to your website and i've been on the site where we connected and you have so many accolades but that doesn't mean anything to most people anymore. So what I'd like you to do is tell my guest who you are and why you're here today. What brought you to our podcast? Yes. Okay. Who am I? Well, today I am a self-leadership coach. I've been doing this for about 12 years now. Uh, I help people to manage their minds so they can meet life's challenges more effectively. And I spend a lot of my time either giving talks to organizations or running workshops. And I've Oh, I'm also the author of a book, Swipe Right on Your Best Self. I gleaned a lot of information over the years on how we can uh, manage our minds. And it's no trivial task. You know, being a human being, it's not an easy ride. There's a, there's, it's quite, <laughs> you'll have noticed yeah. we are indeed fallible, but we can, get, we can get better at making difficult choices. Every one of us can get better. And so I've assembled uh, the ideas that I've uh, I've gathered over the years into a book. Uh, there it is. Swipe right on your best self. Simple steps to a bolder life with fewer regrets. Brent, we we even have a picture of it for you. So you is, want to put that up? again? We even have a picture of it for you here. So there oh, you go. Oh, do you? Well, Woo. oh look, look, you do. You are so well prepared. There I am, looking authorly. I had to <laughs> <laughs> in a clean shirt, not as tasteful as my fable man t-shirt well not everything yes. can be you know yeah but prior to doing this leadership development work 
Mm. I had a, a long career, actually, in the IT industry, like yourself. And uh, I worked in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi, in uh, Scotland for eight years. I lived and worked in Munich, in Germany, and I worked in this industry here in Australia. What I noticed was it, it didn't really matter where you were in the world, what the culture was. Mm-hmm. There were always leaders who were highly experienced, very bright people, smart, experienced, clever people. And when the pressure was on, and you'll know this in the IT world often, oh, yeah. there's that the pressure is on. When the Qantas tickets system goes down, and you're responsible for managing that or that system. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of phones start ringing mm-hmm. in the office. And under circumstances like that, I noticed there were managers who extraordinarily could keep it together. They would do their best work under pressure. They'd manage themselves, and they were able to bring out the best, not only in themselves, but out of the people they work with as well. They could get the best out of others under pressure. Wonderful to see, inspirational but there were also managers who were equally intelligent, equally smart, equally experienced. And under pressure, they would become anxious. They would contaminate their teams with their anxiety. Mm-hmm. Everyone was uh, working more poorly. And problems could take five, seven times as long to solve. And I, I was just blown away. And I thought, hang on, what's, what's making the difference here? It's not smarts. It's not knowledge. It's not what they've learned. What's making the difference? And I discovered there's a rich, rich field, uh, a lot of research into human behavior, into human performance. And so I took uh, an indulgent few years to dive deeply into the science of human performance. And I now have two master's degrees in the subject. I love the topic because at the end of the day, it's all about how can we help ourselves and the people we care for and work with to manage themselves so they can make better choices in life so they can get more effective at doing what's important but challenging and there's lots of really simple things we can all do to get better at that so in a nutshell brent i think that's that's who i am i'm someone who's fascinated by the human mind and extremely interested in learning in learning more about it and in learning strategies that we can use to show up more often as the kind of people we'd like to be in our personal relationships but also in our professional careers so that we can realize more of our personal ambitions i'm not sure indulgent would necessarily be the word i I was well i was enjoying the timeline (laughs) on your website actually um, I was looking through the website, and I like your timeline on there. And when you're doing that much study to improve yourself, sometimes you have to breathe as you do it for it to actually process, right? There, there's oh. that part of rest that people miss with the learning process where it, it's just like working out. You don't get stronger lifting weights. You get stronger recovering from work, right, from lifting weights. You got to give your mind time to percolate some of that stuff. You so do. I used to think we learnt, this is a long time ago, right? I've, I've grown up a little bit since then, but I used to think we learnt by reading or studying. And it, it turns out in a, in a very real sense, we don't actually memorize anything during the day. Nothing. Nothing 
gets stored in long-term storage during the day. We learn, th- we, we learn facts during the day. Mm-hmm. They get put in our heads into short-term storage, and it's during sleep, during our sleep, that, that information that we've learned, if we get a good night's sleep, then that information will be put into longer-term storage, and then critically, it will be connected to the other things that we know. There are lots of separate steps for us to learn. And then we deepen that knowledge through reflection, Brent, as you're well aware, looking back, considering, chewing over ideas, pondering, getting some perspective, revisiting the information again later. Yes, Brent, it takes time (laughs) to learn well. It takes time. (laughs) No fast paths. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the value of sleep. Uh, I, oh. I, it's highly undervalued in our ability to recover, reboot our systems, whether it's, uh, you know, something like physical, like muscular or something mental. You, you got to have that reboot time. Uh, as an IT guy, right, you can appreciate how many times have you answered. Have you tried to turn it on and off again, right? <laughs> the, the old IT joke. Um and how, how often did that actually solve problems is what just blows my mind. You, you touched on it briefly, Eric, but share, you know, you, you've compounded all these things you've learned on in this book, right? Um, and we talked about it before that the show started. That I, I am going to read this. I apologize. I didn't read it before, but why, <laughs> why, why should people dig into this? What, what, oh. give me a high level overview of okay. your book. Cause I know it's years of work. So, yeah. Yes. And in fact, all, all books, I think, anyone who writes a book, it's, it's not really the, the writing, it's the time you put in prior to the writing, the, the getting the experience and the knowledge. Here's why I think people should read my book. A palliative care nurse here in Australia uh, wrote a book called The Five regrets of the dying five regrets of the dying the top five regrets she'd spent a a lot of time with people in their last few days and weeks taking care of them and she was hearing again and again the same top five regrets but the number one regret the thing she heard more often than anything else was this i wish i'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. This message from the dying is is a gift to the living. And they're warning us, if we want to avoid this top regret, we all need to develop the ability to courageously identify what matters to us, what would make a meaningful life, what would make a rewarding life, one that we could look back on and be proud of. Be pleased that we'd really stretched, we'd, we'd, we'd gone for it, regardless of what happened. And it needs to be uh, an authentic life. This is the, the really important thing. And it takes time to identify what really matters to you. Because we live in a world which, in which we are drip-fed constantly messages about how people of your uh, gender, background, uh, age ought to behave. There's a lot of messaging. Some, some of it is explicit. A lot of it is subtle, subtle messaging. So it takes courage, actually, not to conform. 
it takes courage to, to chart your own path. Now, it may be that your path will be well aligned a, a lot of the time with what, uh, with, with what your family would like for you, what your society, your culture would like for you. But at times, it's going to be different. And it takes courage to be different. And courage, doing something that's hard but meaningful, is something that it turns out, science shows, is not something you've got or don't have. It's, it's not stuff. It's not like we've got a kind of a glowing blue orb of courage and we're born with a certain amount and good luck. It's actually a set of skills. It's, in fact, there is no such thing as courage. There is only acting courageously. And every one of us can get better at acting courageously. I've written my book to help people to live courageously, to avoid the number one regret of the dying so they can identify what would be a really meaningful, rewarding, purposeful path for them and then to take it. That's what my book is about. Now, I want to draw focus in for just a second. And guys, all of you listening, I I want you to really lock in on what he just said right there. Courage isn't a born thing. Courage is a set of skills that you build and develop with how you respond to things. So no matter where you're sitting right now, there is no reason you can't live courageously. There is no reason that you cannot live up to the expectation you have for yourself. It is a learnable skill, all right? Let that really sink in. That's, that's incredible. Mm. I, so I grew up, my dad was a preacher for, I want to say, 45 years. And I used to be a minister. And I sat next to more bedsides uh, in the hospital than I would have liked to, especially in my younger years. My dad was a great minister. He was really good at... Like you, you couldn't get sick or go to the hospital and not have my dad come in to check on you. Uh, he was really great that way. But because of that, I, I spent a lot of time in hospitals and around funeral beds and stuff like that. And uh, it, it was always fascinating to me to see what people in those, you know, last days had to say about what they missed out or what they thought they should have done with their lives. Um, it was, it was very informative at a young life at a young age to hear people talk about those things. And so that's, yeah, I'm gonna have to get the name of that book from you too. The, you reference that's uh sounds like an incredibly interesting read. Oh, it's, uh, you made a really important point earlier on about it doesn't matter what's happened previously when we're talking about courage. And, and all of us in life, of course, act in ways which are not very courageous at times, every one of us. But to a very real extent, the past does not influence today. It doesn't actually matter what you did yesterday. The past cannot reach forward and kind of pull your strings today. You've, well, that's to say we've, we've all got a lot more control than we imagine over our choices today. When a, a speedboat is going over the sea, it is not controlled by the wake behind it. The wake is the wake. It's behind the boat. It cannot 
encourage the boat to go a bit to the left or a bit to the right. We are a little bit like that. We can truly choose our own direction. We've got a lot more liberty than we realize. We tell ourselves a lot of fibs, a lot of very convincing fibs we say about our identity. We'll say, oh, I'm the kind of person who, as though we were fixed. The truth is we're not really any kind of person. We all behave like the kind of person we think we are. We behave like the kind of people we think we are. The reality is you've got an awful lot of flexibility at every moment to make choices which had nothing to do with choices you made yesterday. You know, I think yes, I- we, form hab- we form habits, it's true, but we've still got a lot more control than we imagine, which gives us great hope, Brent. We can all get better at this. And there's something I'd like to stress is that no one ever masters uh, behaving courageously. This isn't something that you get. Phew, I've done it. Phew, don't have to practice that anymore. I'm pleased about that. You'll notice people in all sports, even the ones at the very top of their game, tennis. We're seeing a lot of tennis right now, uh, a lot of golfers. None of them stop practicing. There's none that say, great, I've cracked it. We've got the Olympics happening. You can be sure they, all those people who are at the top of the game globally, they practice daily. All of us just need to continually practice making courageous choices and getting better at it. I think this actually segues right into my next question. So we're going to keep rolling right into this. My next question was going to be, what's holding us back from pursuing the relationships and careers that we believe we deserve? Right. And I, I think this is playing into that direction. So let's keep going. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, fundamentally, it's, well, it's, it's, an, it's a number of things. I'm going to suggest that there are three human predicaments that hold us all back from living courageously. Three predicaments that humans have that, that no other creature on the earth has. The first one is that you and I and all your listeners, we all live in two worlds. We don't just live in one world. We live in two worlds. We live in the, the physical world, just like animals. Uh, and we are, of course, animals. But we also live in our heads. And it's estimated we all spend about half of our lives in our heads, rehearsing the future. Things are, oh, I'll, I'll speak to that Brent. So yesterday I may have been thinking, oh, I'll be speaking to that Brent. Brent might ask me this. If he asked me this, then I'll say that. But then he might say this. So we, we endlessly rehearse what's going to happen in the future. And we also replay the past. Now, these are useful skills, but they come at a cost. It's really good to be able to look back and to learn from the past. It's good to be able to plan for the future. Really handy. But the mind has this negativity bias, and it tends to focus on what could go wrong in the future and what has gone wrong in the past. So we spend a lot of our time thinking negative thoughts, and the mind is very convincing. So what we imagine, it, it influences us to a very large degree, whether it's real or not. A friend of mine was trying on one of these VR headsets. They've got very, very clever now. They're very realistic. And he was in an apartment store, an electrical store on the ground floor 
put on this VR headset and it was he, he was suddenly catapulted to being at the top of a skyscraper on the edge. And he goes, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And the sales assistant said, sir, take a couple of steps forward, would you? And he goes, no way. There's no, you've got to be kidding. I'm not stepping forward. Now, he knew it wasn't real. It was virtual. It, it was, but his, his whole body believed the illusion. It believed this virtual reality. Of course, ultimately, he took the headset off, held it in the hand, and he was able to go wherever he wanted. People are a bit like that. We create our own virtual realities and we look ahead and we see plummets. What if I asked for that, uh, that raise? Oh, and we see a steep decline. I might get shouted at. They might not like it. What if I asked that person out? I'd love to get to know them. Whoa. And we see a steep plummet. Uh, oh, I, I couldn't bear it if I was, uh, if they said no, if I was rejected. We do this a lot in life. We imagine the worst and it's unusually compelling. The good news, though, is we can all develop skills to take off our own virtual reality headsets that we carry around with us and observe them. Take off. What am I telling myself? These are skills. Recognize it, what's happening, and sort of virtually take it off and become an observer, hold it in our hands, where it will have less influence over us. We can't stop the mind predicting the worst. It can't be done. But we can get better at getting a little bit of distance from what our mind is generating. And when we've got that distance, we can choose. So this is the first human predicament, a very, very convincing internal world. I might just pause for a quick slug of coffee before we move on to th thrilling installments two and three of the human predicaments. Wow. <laughs> While you're grabbing a cup of coffee, let us roll to our sponsor real quick. And guys, we'll be right back with more from Eric. Today's episode brought to you by TheFallibleMan.com. That's right, it's us. Head over to www.TheFallibleMan.com and check out our blog, updated twice a week with new content, and links to all of our social media offerings. Tag or search us at TheFallibleMan or at FallibleMan on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social medias for daily content. While you're there, check out our attitude swag, shirts, cups, stickers, and more. Again, that's www.thefallibleman.com. All right, guys, and we're back with Eric Winters. Uh, we're talking with him about his book, Swipe Right on Your Best Self. In the first part of the show, we've been spending some time just getting to know Eric a little bit and what he has to share with us. We are talking about the human predicament that keeps us from reaching and pursuing the relationships and careers we deserve. Uh, if you missed the first part of the show, be sure and go back and catch that. We're going to keep on rolling here with Eric, and we're on to number two, the second. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. The second human predicament is that we all live in a, a culture which drip feeds us junk values. If you are a human being alive today, in, especially in the West, I can't speak for Eastern cultures. I suspect they're in the same boat. But we get 
constant messaging that's just junk messaging about how you can achieve happiness, what you need to do to be continually and sustainably happy, and that it's possible. And there's this relentless messaging uh, also that's saying you need to stay positive. Now, that sounds like a, a, a good thing. What could possibly be wrong with feeling upbeat and positive? Well, nothing from time to time. But it's a fool's errand to imagine you can be perpetually and consistently uh, happy and cheerful. It's almost like society has got these huge billboards up and they, they've, they've, there's a command on them, command, and it says, cheer up, cheer up. So we've got to stay <laughs> cheery and positive all the time. And we're always being told to you know, look on the bright side. Uh, every cloud's got a silver lining. Uh, there's plenty more fish in the sea. They've gone to a better place. We are continually encouraged. In fact, in fact, not encouraged. We're prohibited, pretty much prohibited from staying with discomfort. Now, as a result, we when people ask you, Brent, how are you doing? There's only really one sociably acceptable answer. Brent, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Great. You are? Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Thanks, Brent. Great. And, you know, it's really not, it's not allowed to say, well, actually, I'm going through a bit of a difficult time. I'm uh, having some problems with my partner. I'm trying to sort it out with a lot of arguing. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about this pandemic. I'm worried about my health. We, we, we're not encouraged to do that. We veer always to try to put on a, a brave face. And there's a lot to be said for having the ability to turn towards the positive. But it's absolutely critical. If you're going to lead a courageous life, and remember, courage means doing things that are difficult while they're difficult, not waiting until there's no difficulty. If you're going to develop courage, you need to develop the skill to actually turn towards discomfort and stay with it. And we don't need to look far for discomfort because life is hard. There's lots and lots of uh, opportunities to practice being with anxiety and worry. When we're afraid of staying with discomfort, we will self-soothe. So we'll, we, and there are so many opportunities, Brent. Have you noticed? Oh yeah. yeah. So so many. Uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful time for distraction <laughs> and self-soothing. <laughs> and it's become cheaper than ever to self-soothe. So whether it's alcohol or uh, other other drugs or Netflix or uh, Facebook or I, I don't know what, there's so many opportunities to, to turn not to turn towards what's difficult, challenging, uncomfortable, but to turn away. So this is the second human predicament. Yeah, the phone. Yeah, it's wow. no farther yeah, than your what? phone, right? Ah, oh, an Aladdin's cave of distractions, and a great tool at the same time. So I'm a big fan. We've got to be so careful, and it's 24 hours. You know, people in the past, I, I, I almost wonder if perhaps way, way back, people were far more courageous in life because they couldn't self-soothe. Mm-hmm. People got really hard at living difficult lives because they couldn't reach out 24 hours a day and just self-soothe. They got good at being uh, uncomfortable, at being worried, at being frightened. 
And then when you get good at being uncomfortable, you stay with it and you'll do something about it. So the second human predicament was a culture that drip feeds us unhelpful values. And, and one of the toxic messages we get from our culture is that you, as you are, Brent, mm-hmm. are not enough. You're not enough. Look at this poster. It's got many people on it who are much uh, more attractive and more popular and wealthy and uh, more successful and better qualified or, or whatever it is. We get constant messaging. This is how advertising works, of oh, course. Yeah. Here's something you don't have, something you're lacking. Look, look what you're lacking. Uh, is it popularity, what, what, whatever. You need this. And you need this. Need. Yeah, and isn't that the, op- <laughs> the operative word? Not, wouldn't it be nice? You need it. So we get a, a sense of neediness. We're trained. We are trained to feel needy. And it's not because we're flawed or weak that we feel needy. If you message anybody, anything, constantly, day in, day out, throughout their, their lives, your conscious mind will hear it and go, oh, rubbish, that's ludicrous. But your unconscious mind is quietly taking it in. Listen, oh, yeah, they do. Those other people do look attractive. They've got the latest phone. Maybe I could be popular too if I, if I had the latest phone. The unconscious mind is very vulnerable. We need to be really careful where we give our attention. It matters. I, so I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I, uh, I was laughing because you're like, you know, the, the default answer, I like to make people uncomfortable. Like I, I love. So <laughs> people ask me when I'm walking by, like, how are you doing? It's like, well, actually, you know, I, I just, you know, yeah. my father just passed away and I had all kinds yep. of family, right? I will actually answer that question and the look of yes. fear on people's face. I, they when you actually like confront abs- them with something other than just the answer, the look of fear is amazing. Cause like, wait, wait, what do I do? I, I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how to respond to this. Yeah. Yes. I, it, it's true. People do, people do not know how to respond. So you and I, I think we, we, we share a few qualities, not just in the background in IT or even a foreground uh, in technology, but once you spend more time, being with discomfort, being honest with yourself, really, it's about leading an honest life, mm-hmm. then you're, you're less afraid, actually, to answer those questions honestly and, and, and let people know. Anyway, that's number two. We are in this culture drip feeding us really unhelpful messaging. Question of the show. What do you think is the thing that is holding you back from being your authentic self, guys? We're talking about it, and Eric is doing an incredible job of sharing with us some insights that will help you answer this question. But guys, we're a community, so answer down below in the comments, whether you're on the podcast or on YouTube. I respond to all of the comments I get, guys. This is a community. We help each other this way, so please share with us. Be brave in the moment. What do you think is the thing that is holding you back from being your authentic self? Let's keep going. Number three, uh, third human predicament is as humans, from a very, very early age, we develop an awareness of our mortality. We recognize we're going to die. Now, this is a 
a very, very inconvenient truth. You know, they, they probably don't come much more inconvenient than this. I've got a chapter title called The Biggest Elephant. And this really is the biggest elephant in the room, the thing we do not like to talk about and we like to push out of our minds. Because, of course, in our biology, as we were being developed by our mothers in our mother's wombs, they were knitting right into the core of our being uh, an imperative to stay alive. It's the human imperative. So you grow up, wake up, you're alive, you're a fearful creature because you want to stay alive. So what happens when we have this this imperative, the primary imperative, I must stay alive, coupled with the realization right up against it that actually I must die. I must stay alive and I must die. Well, they are incompatible, those two. So what most of us do is we put right out of mind the idea that we're going to die. Now, in the short term, this is very soothing again. We're back to that self-soothing. Ah, that feels better. And it does feel better. However, when we put it right out of mind, we rob ourselves of a sense of urgency to live well now while we're alive. So I would advocate not dwelling on this all day, you know, continually moping, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. That doesn't help anyone. But maybe just once a week, once a week for a couple of seconds, you know, could you survive a couple of seconds of just reminding yourself, yeah, actually, this isn't forever. I've got a certain span. And if I'm going to be bold, if I'm going to reach for the kind of career I want, the kind of relationships I want, a really good time to do that might be now while we can. There's a website I'd like to direct all your listeners to. I found it really helpful because when I tell myself in, in numbers and I say, oh, I've got an extra, I've got, I'm going to live for another whatever, uh, let's say 40 years, uh, 50 years, you make up your, your own number, 80 years, some of your listeners perhaps. A number, it doesn't really sink in. It's, it's hard for the mind to work with numbers. If you go to this website, count.life, so that's C-O-U-N-T dot L-I-F-E. On that page, you're asked just a couple of questions. When was your birthday? You type it in. How long do you think you'll live? Give yourself 100 years. Why not? Be, be generous. Press enter. It then presents you with a wall of bricks. Every brick represents a week of your life. It shows in one color all the weeks you've already lived, and it shows you in another color the weeks you still have, assuming you get all the way to the end. And uh, my experience, I'll be curious to hear what your experience is, if we get the opportunity, of looking at years represented graphically, not as a number in my head, but looking at what does it look like the, the remaining weeks of your life? Suddenly, I had a really strong sense of, whoa, that's not so many. That's not so many. And it didn't instill wild panic. What it instills is this sense of, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to get on with things. I'm not going to keep deferring, keep procrastinating, having the kind of life I want to. The time to live 
and to really apply ourselves, say the things that you want to say to people, craft the, the, the careers or the businesses, develop the relationships. The time to do it is now. So I actually look at that chart just once a week, just briefly, just to remind myself, because every week there is one less brick. And it's useful for us to be reminded just from time to time, occasionally, that we are not immortal beings. That's the third human predicament. How does that land, Brent? Wasn't it a story about the old Roman emperor, about the man who was sitting in his ear, remind him he's going to die? Isn't that what it was? If I remember that story yep. right. It's true. But we don't tend to think about those things till we get to the end. I told you before the show, my, my father passed recently, and I've been around a lot of deathbeds, and it amazes me how much we don't consider until we either lose somebody close to us or we're getting close to the end of our life. Why is it we wait till then to start to go, what, what did I really want to accomplish? Why yes. is that reality something that has to be brought into our forefront by a loved one passing or something like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we really need to stress this point to uh, to your listeners. Most people wait until either perhaps they receive a, a terminal diagnosis themselves before they will actually look, reconsider and reevaluate what their priorities are. And there are countless stories of people that have actually been told, I'm sorry, but you've only got so much longer to live mm -hmm. they completely reevaluate hang on hang on how am i spending my life i've only got this much time left and they they will say i, I hear this again and again they'll say you know what actually although i'd much rather not be dying in a few months i have never lived as much i've never had so much vitality and meaning and purpose it, it's life is vivid and and rich is rich now. Now, we do not need to wait for that diagnosis, or as you say, to lose someone close to us. We can turn towards this right now and acknowledge the reality. And a website like count.life just helps us to realize, you know, without a, a diagnosis, to realize and be, remember, remember and be honest about our circumstance. That's all this is. It's about honesty. And you can, if you do this, you can bring forward that kind of rich, meaningful, vivid life. Why wait to live that way in your last uh, six, three months? Do it now. Do it now. You can be that much alive and purposeful. And you were talking earlier on, and I love this, about the influence that you as a father have on your daughters. We are all of us far more influential than we realize to those that we come into contact with. Not just our family members, but people we encounter uh, in the supermarket, in the street, at work. Your presence, how you engage with others, how you make eye contact, how you acknowledge them, the words we use with each other. We cannot not influence other people. You're doing it all the time, unintentionally or intentionally. So why not do this 
purposefully actually choose when we go out into the world, when we're in the presence of others, to be an, an encouraging presence, to model qualities or to inspire qualities in others that helps other people to uh, live more meaningful, happy, fulfilling lives, because they will then go on and contaminate other people with well-being. So today, with your one action, you could influence potentially thousands because of the ripple effect. <laughs> you have to be you careful. Are All of us are amazingly influential. You have to be careful with that word contaminate. If people get a bad connotation well, for it these days. It, but no, I, well, I like it. It's to, very accurate. <laughs> it's a very accurate I'm trying to reclaim it. It's got a very bad brand right now. But you can contaminate people with well-being and happiness as well. Sarah's got it. There it is. Cont hashtag <laughs> contaminate with happiness. If you're watching on YouTube, it's on the screen, guys. If you're not, if you're listening on the podcast, let's let's take the word contaminate back. Let's get stop the negative connotation and contaminate other people with happiness. That sounds like a good idea. Eric, so what is next? I know you do a lot of speaking and you're obviously a writer, more podcasts probably, but what is next for Eric Winters? So are you going to do a second book oh. or are you working on something now or – there's, there's a, a number of things. So a lot of people are asking me to record an audio version of my book. And so I'm likely to be uh, doing that later on in the year. Uh, I'm also just starting a new enterprise with uh, a, a very talented lady. Uh, and we're going to be delivering leadership development workshops to practice managers, to medical, mostly medical practice managers, perhaps also lawyer, ma manage, uh, legal practice managers helping people predominantly outside of the cities to manage their minds so that they can manage their practices more effectively. So I'm really looking forward to that. And yes, there is a second book. I'm thinking about possibly writing a book on the topic of our identity and what we can do to craft, intentionally craft an identity an identity that's going to be aligned with being the kind of people we'd like to be. It turns out that there, there are many steps that we can take to intentionally sort of sculpt an identity. So it becomes more habitual to show up as the kind of people we'd like to be. I think that would be a worthwhile book. But hey, it, was, it was an awful lot of work doing the first one. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm feeling a bit challenged. I, I need to do a bit of the, the three ends, the three ends on the, the prospect of writing my second book. <laughs> and, uh, writing a book is a, it's a huge undertaking after uh, getting to interview quite a few authors at this point and starting a book myself. It's uh, definitely, it's like, hmm. Apparently, statistically, a lot of people start the book and uh, like 80% never finish or something. Like it's, it's pretty. Uh, pretty big with all the books that come out every year it's that's a scary figure but it's uh but if you any of your audience your listeners are thinking about writing a book can i just let them know that it is a, a life-changing uh project to take on in a good way i should clarify that it's life-changing in a good way it's transformative you will develop extraordinary skills in doing it i don't mean technical writing skills but just self-discipline the act of showing up every day and you've got to do it every day to turn your attention to the, an ongoing project to sustain 
effort over the long term. To, the writing really organizes your thinking. To It's one thing to have ideas in your head, but to articulate them meaningfully, to put them in an order which makes sense to mm-hmm. people, it's, it's possibly one of the best things I've ever done. So I would encourage people to explore writing their own books if that would be aligned with the kind of person you want to be. So where can people find you? I know you have a website. We're going to put that on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. And guys, if you want to go to this website, this is where you can order your copy of the book signed. Is that what I understood? Well, let me clarify this. Yes, if you're in Australia. We were talking about this earlier. Shipping costs. Look, it just doesn't work. If If you're in Australia, yes, go to that website. Uh, to get a copy of the book. But if you're outside, look, it's on all online booksellers. It's available for, for, from everywhere, so you can get it uh, globally. But if you go to my website, you can download the first couple of chapters for free right at the top of the page. So I, I'd like to make a, a commitment to people. If you download those first couple of chapters, you'll be able to tell within the first page. You don't have to read all 40 pages. You can download and Download the 40 pages, but just read the first one. You'll know after reading the first page of the acknowledgements if this is the kind of book, if my way of communicating is a way that will resonate for you. I've really tried to write a book that's accessible, that's easy to read. It's quite funny uh, at times, too. I get to the point. I can't stand waffle. I've got no time for waffle. And so many books, they're just full of waffle, a lot of stories, just a lot of bubble wrap words that you've got to pop through until you get to the middle. It's a bit like those Amazon deliveries. You used to get, I don't know if it's the same way where you are, you get these huge boxes. Oh, I wonder what that is. And there was all this thick, thick bubble wrap. And in the middle, there was the item that, yeah. that you really wanted. A lot of books are like that. Yeah, something so, like this, this thick and it's yeah. in a box this big. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, my book's not like that. Look, it's, it's small, it's thin, and I get to the point quickly. No fluff. Guys, and we'll have the link for Eric's website. Plus, I'll throw in the Amazon link so you guys can order it because, right, none of us can live without Amazon. But, guys, we'll put in all links for his website and for Amazon. Get yourself a copy of this book. Eric, do you do social media at all or anything besides your website? I do. I have to say I'm quite reluctant. I do a lot of it, but I don't enjoy it very much. I have to use courage every time. Oh, body social media. But yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn and Facebook, but especially LinkedIn. Look, if people would like to connect, I'd always say yes on LinkedIn. And if you do that, you will be in the loop because I I run free webinars uh, perhaps once a month or so. I've just given one yesterday about uh, doing online presenting uh, more effectively. And I've run other webinars about managing your mind, about being courageous. Not that often, but yeah, once a month. If you connect on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll be in the loop. So do well, that if you'd like to. Expect me to be touch. connecting on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll get in on those if I can. No, I, I'm a kindred spirit on the whole. Man, I, I have eight social media accounts. Oh. I hate it. Oh. I hate it. It's the first, if I ever actually like break even doing this, right. I, I don't even want to make a fortune doing this. I, I like what I'm doing. I like what the fallible man is about. I have a full-time job. I like trying to help people and trying to provide good stuff for people, 
But if I ever break even at this, I, the first thing I'm hiring is a social media manager. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's I hate a, it. A full time a full time job, really. Yeah. Could I just say how much I like your merch, uh, Brent? I was look, looking at those. Uh, your little advert there showing the the t-shirts i'm going to have a look actually after this conversation they're really very stylish some really nice designs thank you thank you fantastic now people can find you at your website people can find you on social media guys go out and get this book you i'm i'm when i get done with this interview today i'm ordering my copy on amazon uh because i'm not shipping it from australia man i'm sorry (laughs) But, uh, <laughs> but guys, go out there and, you know, as we say every time, okay, be better tomorrow because what you do today. But guys, swipe right on your best self. Don't wait. Get started today. Thanks for joining us. and We'll see you next time. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast. Your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.